0: We do know. We are joined now by one of the greatest punters in the greater Cleveland area history. It is Dave's Ascidel Dave, how you doing?
1: Good guys, how
2: are you? We're doing well. well. You know, uh, you know, Dave, um, Steve Becker hit me on He said uh, I said, you know, Dave's Ascidel was uh, my former teammate. He, he was like, shut up. You know Dave's do. So apparently you are a rock star. <laughs> to, to to our uh Steve Becker down in uh, in Atlanta and I say, "Yeah, man. Dave Zassadil was the first All-American we had." I don't I don't know how we felt about that. That means we was punting the ball a whole lot. <laughs> but <laughs> he was the first All-American that we had at a, at a OU, so yeah, man. They got to retire your jersey. Some did they retire that yet?
1: Uh no, I don't think so. Um but I I, I think it's funny when you're going up and down Ohio University back when we were there and you see my jersey hanging in, the, uh, in, in, in the, the bookstores. You're like, man, for a punter to be in there, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, it was definitely something else. But uh, it's kind of flattering uh, going back now and talk, telling my kids about it. It's kind of fun. But at the time, it's just like, yeah, maybe we got to get this offense going a little bit more. Well, based <laughs> yeah.
0: off that same line of thinking, Dave, according to Wikipedia and one other source, you hold two NFL records. You have the most punt yards ever in a season and the most punts down inside the 20 in one season. That means the offense wasn't good in Arizona, frankly. So do you take those records with a little grain of salt or do you say, hey, I did my job, the rest of the offense, eh, you guys kind of stunk?
1: Yeah, we struggled a little bit, um, I think in 2012. Now the inside of the 20, a guy named Johnny Hecker, uh, I, I believe he's, Hecker, he's still playing, a uh, great punter. I think he actually beat that record a few years ago. So it was fun while it lasted. Um, but you know, it's funny I, They give you these game balls, right? And, and they, they gave some record. It said most punts inside the 20 and I hung it up on, on my, uh, my shelf for a little while. And then when he beat it, uh, unfortunately it's up in the attic now, but for those couple <laughs> of years, it was from that.
3: Dave, you were with the Browns a handful of years. What is your best or worst memory of being in Cleveland during
1: some pretty lean years? Well, by, my worst memory is seeing how much younger and less gray hair I had on that <laughs> picture right there compared to now. But um, I think the the best memory was, you know, for me was just getting signed in the free agency of 2000, 2006. Uh, Phil Savage came over from Baltimore, and he was a pretty instrumental in, in drafting me in Baltimore. And uh, you know, just just coming home. I mean, I grew up going to Municipal Stadium with my dad. We had three tickets. When I was a kid, um, we were right behind those big poles. You know, you're looking behind yeah. left and right left in the field, and you know it's a kid's it's a dream come true to play for your hometown team. And you know, I, I think the first game we played that year was New Orleans Saints at home. We opened up against them, and just running out of that tunnel, realizing that you actually you know made it onto your childhood dream team, was a was a blessing. Um, it was great to have family and friends there. I was an Ohio University kid, a Bay Village kid, so. You know, staying in the state of Ohio, um, it gave me a lot of motivation to want to do the best I could to put you know the, the, the team in the best field position. I know that's my job, but when it's your hometown team that you care so much about, uh, sometimes it would put a I put a little too much stress on myself. Um, but I think that opening game in New Orleans was my best memory. Probably probably the worst memory was that two thousand and seven season when we went 10 and six and we didn't sneak in the playoffs. I, yeah. I thought hmm. we had a really good team. I thought the chemistry was there. Uh, we had great leaders like Joe Jarevicius, Jamal Lewis. I played with Jamal in Baltimore. And, and we just kind of had that feeling that this could be a magical run if we could get in the playoffs. And unfortunately, there was something where Jim Sorge didn't play and Indianapolis lost or, or, or something to that effect. Yep. But uh, that was a bad memory because I think we had we had something going. I think that could have really helped us into the next season if we could have made a little splash in the playoffs.
2: You know, Z. um you lot of people know i mean you were a, a great athlete like uh, even even at uh at ou we we had these clean combos and i'm like man they had all these put three push press ether uh, coach Ethan reeves would have us do either we, yeah, we, we didn't even have we didn't even bench like that we was like no we don't bench we power clean like he was an olympic guy and z used to put up some some weight on the power clean i'm like man that's the doggone punter <laughs> when before before you got to uh, before you got to OU um, when did you did you play any other positions besides that? And what were what, what are those positions and when did you kind of know like, okay, you could punt at a high level and you could you could probably go to college for punting. When did that kind of hit you?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it kind of ties into what's going on with parents these days where they're trying to focus their kids on one sport only and I I tend to disagree with that. I think that all these other sports can help you uh, in, in in your best sport or help you, you know, create better high end, co- you know, hand eye coordination, etc. But I'll get to that later. But to answer your question, GB, I got I was a three star athlete in high school. I played baseball four years on um, varsity. I played uh, basketball. I quit my senior year to focus on football and baseball, and I feel bad about that. I wish I would have played, but um, yeah, football I was a three year varsity starting quarterback. Um, we won the conference my senior year. Uh, had a had a really good team, um, and then what happened is my junior, sophomore, junior coach Kaiser. He's a he's a he's a legend in um, Bay Village. He was in the Hall of Fame recently, and um, he says, "Hey, I need a punter." And I was a young guy, and what he did is we went to the practice fields, and we, you know, took the width of the field, and he said, "Hey, I want to see who can punt it to the other side." So we had these juniors and seniors on the team that. Barely made it to the other side, and I came up and I hit it halfway up the trees that were behind there. And he says, "Well, I found my punter." So I <laughs> uh, you knew from when I was a kid playing little league soccer, I had a strong left leg, and um, you know, I felt I felt I was a good athlete. I wasn't, you know, the best quarterback in the world. I wasn't the best baseball player in the world, but you know, when I was a kid, I could easily adapt to any sport, and I thought I was pretty good at them. So punting is a very—if you look at the punters in the NFL—I mean, they're typically bigger guys, stronger guys former quarterbacks, linebackers, believe it or not. And that hand-eye coordination, be able to you know, get that flexibility, do those things. You typically have a little bit more of size um, and, and an athletic uh, background to do that. And a perfect example I always tell people is Tom Tupa. Um, you know, Tom was Ohio State quarterback, played at Arizona, big, tall guy, strong. And that's kind of the difference between a little bit more of a punter and a kicker. I just think is the background of how punters develop is different because I think if you ask many punters we worked with or I played with, excuse me, they wish they were playing another position, and and I always did too.
0: I got your high school stats here, Dave, in case anyone was wondering. But you threw for 2,264 yards, 806 as a senior, 8-2 record as the uh, starting quarterback. So more than more than just a punter. Uh, Dave, my question
3: though.
1: We like to run the ball. We like to run it, but but I, th- <laughs> I did not throw an interception my senior year. So that's 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 my <laughs> biggest stat I hold on to.
3: Hey. Well, you're talking to an Avon Lake alum, so you beat my guys for the conference title back in 97, right? Yeah, South it might Western be the last too? time
1: we beat Avon Lake, though. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you,
0: uh, you played for three different NFL teams. I couldn't get the exact number of special teams coordinators you played for, but th- there were plenty. The Browns just signed Bubba Ventron to come in and hopefully fix their special teams unit. How much of a difference can a new special teams coach make on the entire unit the punting the kicking the return game the you know stopping the return game how, how much difference can a guy like bubba ventrone have on the team in year one as a new special teams coach
1: what's well, funny you say that i texted bubba because i played with him and i just said hey i haven't talked to him in a long time i said bubba congratulations uh, i'm really excited if you want to get together i'm here and by the way this is dave's acid we played together and i kind of put the years and he goes dave like, do you honestly think I forgot about our time together? I just spit out my beer or something like that, you know, my, my Coke or something like that. He's like, come on, man, we're the greatest special teams unit in the league that year. And, and it was it was kind of a funny, funny text back. But, you know, Coach Prefer, I played against him for many years, got a lot of respect for him. But sometimes change is needed. And the Browns felt that this way. And Bubba, when I played with Bubba and his reputation in the league was the guy was very smart. Um, he was a uh, he, he was a guy that went out and studied film a ton um he had a lot of people follow his lead because he was such an extroverted guy on the special teams field that you know people kind of gravitated around bubba and bubba was undersized yet he made key plays and made plays that we can't couldn't even believe he made so whenever you have that kind of personality that personality can kind of fill up a room and people can come in and say hey i want to i want to i want to follow that guy he's leading by example he's been there he's done that And I think his success in Indianapolis um, was a big reason why the Browns said, hey, this is a young guy. Um, You know, he played the position. He knows the position. And sometimes when you play positions in the NFL, there's so many conversations that go on during the game in the locker room in the film room of things that could get bypassed if you hadn't had that experience played it yourself. And so I think that um, experience with Bubba is going to really help this team. But I think his energy is really what's going to take this special teams unit Because, quite frankly, guys, I'll be honest with you, and and you guys know this probably as good as anybody, nobody comes in the NFL and wants to be a special teams player. They want to earn a job as a defensive back, as a linebacker. Um, They want to get on that field. But if you have a guy that gets those guys to buy in, now you have a third third of the program, you know, offense, defense, special teams, that's contributing. And if your special teams is in a top five in the unit, Baltimore consistently had a great unit under Jerry Rosberg it impacts and probably could give you two to three more wins a year.
3: Dave, when you were punting, it seemed to be the rule was for returners, put your heels on the 10 yard line and don't back up. And if it goes over your head, let it go. That's not the case anymore. The guys are fielding punts at the five at the three. Why did that change? And, and how do you, how is it that you guys spin these balls to to, so that you can down them like on impact? It's almost like a golfer hitting a flop shot. That thing just hits and sticks now. What kind of spin do you have to put on the ball in order to be able to do that?
1: Well, I'll answer your question in a minute, but it's funny you say that because if you look at my stats on inside the 20 compared to touchbacks until I got to Arizona, um, they, they were not nearly as good. And when I got into Arizona, I started working on this end-over-end kick. They call it the, the Aussie rules kick. Um, we just It just was so new. I think Darren Bennett came over as a punter from Australia in 1995. And he was the only one that did it. The problem is special teams coaches were, tra- coaches were trained for so long to see that nose over spiral punt that when they saw this kind of punt, they thought you miss it. And so finally over time, people were slowly doing it. Shane Leckler was an excellent punter at it and a few other guys. So I didn't really even have a chance to do that punt until I got to Arizona and I wish I had it in Cleveland. I think I could have been a lot more, uh, you know, more dangerous than I was. But you know, the answer to your question, in the old days, you would try to cough and corner the kick, or you try to hit it high and hope you got a good bounce. Nowadays, punters are so good at that kick; it's like a golf swing. It's like being, you know, 50 yards out from the hole, or you know, even 70 yards out. They know how much harder they have to hit it and what, and, and from what yard line—the 45, 50, 40-yard 40 line. So in the old days, yeah, heels in the heels at the 10 because that ball would hit and it'd probably go in the end zone because of the way the punt was. Now with that backwards spin, guys are so good at it, you're going to hit the eight-yard line, seven-yard line, and that's going to stick and maybe slowly bounce. We used to say one out of every three punts could go in the end zone, so you got two-thirds of these balls that are probably going to stick inside that 20, so I think guys are taking more of a chance to try to make some kind of return out of it inside the 10 than letting it hit and die or slowly roll inside the four or five. Do you hold it differently? Like, this stuff fascinates me. It's this – I'm probably – my brain is just weird.
3: But do you hold it differently? How do you get that that flop to it?
1: Yeah, so two, there's two ways to hold it. I'll try to do it best I can on screen. As some guys just put the ball here and they hold it down mm-hmm. and they drop the nose. And if this is the football, they're going to hit it towards the bottom, a little bit above the bottom of the ball to get that. You know, you still got to get power into the kick. Some guys hold it like this. and The ball comes straight down and they still hit that bottom part. The problem is, you don't hit the very bottom of the ball because then you're not going to get much meat on the ball, and it's just going to spin, spin, spin. You still have to hit it part of the meat side of it, but that angle of the drop is so critical to get that distance and spin. That's Very technical, yeah. but it just takes a lot of a lot of practice.
3: And one more for me: What happened to barefoot kickers? Why don't we have barefoot? I know you were a punter, but why don't? What happened to the barefoot kicker? Why aren't they a thing anymore?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, what Rich Carlos was was the yeah. one we always remember from Denver, but. Um, I I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, the only way I can think of it is, you know, when I played, we always wore a shoe size of a size or size and a half smaller on our foot. So we could get the tightest feeling on that foot from our shoe back then. They probably had really heavy shoes that were bulky, big, and the the kicker probably just didn't feel like he was getting a good feel of the ball off his foot. So he just said, Hey man, I'm going to go barefoot where I can really feel it. I get nowhere to hit it. And my guess, it was probably just because the technology of shoes back then wasn't wasn't what it is like today. But that's just a pure guess. But I, I don't know, man. Those guys would go out in snow and cold and sleep. Oh, and it's ridiculous. Bad. It's like kicking a bowling ball sometimes in those weathers, in those we, weather. We would
3: do it as kids, like, right? So you see them do it. So you run out, you take your shoe off, and you kick the ball And instant tears in your eyes. It hurts so oh. bad. I don't know how they did yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Like we played the infamous snowball versus Buffalo, and Phil Dawson made those those unbelievable field goals. I mean, it was so cold and windy that you know the ball was just such a rock. And I can't even imagine going out there and Phil kicking that thing or punting that thing with you know barefoot, let alone you know uh, you know no sleeves or what what have you. But um, I I don't get it. I I I just know I would never do it. You know?
2: <laughs> You know, Z. There's a there's a guy out there, uh, uh, Matt Re- Razer from um, from San Diego State, and obviously he's been embroiled in a lot of different things. Um, it looks like um, you know he was accused of some things about assault, but looks like those things have been tracked, retracted, and he's been vindicated. They call him the Punt God. Now, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to watch him play or if you've scouted him coming out of San Diego State. Um, If you could kind of give us his skill set and what makes him so so good, that'd be awesome. And on top of it If you're a punter right and the the mentality of a punter right um, when you are you guys are kind of secluded You guys want to do your own thing. You're off to yourself How difficult would that be in, in, in the media if you had to answer questions all the time in the media because it seems like special teams guys do not answer questions. There's nothing to talk about. You guys just kick and you do your thing. How difficult would that be if you had to communicate and talk about with the media all the time um, and get that level of attention uh, and still try to do your job?
1: Yeah, to answer your first question, you know, uh, Matt was just a, a very strong punter. I uh, had an explosive leg. Uh, it helped that he played in San Diego State. The weather down there is pretty consistent, and beautiful. So it was a little surprising when we went to Buffalo because we know how, how different of an environment Buffalo can be. Um, uh, but you know, I think you know, I think what happens is punters and kickers, you know, especially as young players, they still don't know. Teams don't know how they're going to develop. You don't know if you're going to turn into a Robbie Gold or you're going to turn into a one-year-and-done guy, even though you're drafted. Um, draft picks always tend to get the benefit of the doubt. They give a few years to make sure that they don't look bad as an organization on wasting a draft pick. And um, it makes people look good if eventually your draft picks uh, turn out. But, you know, as a specialist, the only time we really want to be in the news is if we're, uh, you, know, you know, doing something well. And if you're in the news for anything by, you know, shank punts or, you know, doing something in your personal life that, uh, in, in Matt's case, was significant, um, you know, it didn't surprise me that the team cut him at the time. Um, that's pretty consistent with what we see now and today with sports and teams wanting to keep their reputation and not wanting to do it, distractions, and it's all about distractions. Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm very happy for Matt and his family. Um, I think that uh, for him, uh, you know, to, to, to get, you know, not convicted of something like this, which, which would definitely affect him, his family for the rest of their lives, um, obviously, it's just a good thing. I mean, it's just he, he's free now. He's willing. He's ready to go back. And his reputation hopefully will be restored with time. But as a player, it doesn't have to be a, a specialist. You know, this, you know, distractions are one thing. But um, football is just a sport we play. It's something we get paid. It's no different than anybody else waking up and me in insurance business now going to get our job. But at the same time, your family is the most important. And I'm happy that this is behind him. And I got to think that someone like Matt at his age will get some more opportunities hopefully to get back and do something he loves doing. That's punting the football.
0: Dave, we got two more. We'll let you out of here. This is something I've always been curious about. And I understand that they're two different skill sets. But at the end of the day, it's, it's both kicking football. Why don't we see any punter-kicker combos in mm. today's day and age? I know Pat McAfee, I think, might have been the last one to try it on the NFL level. But why, why is that an extinct creature in today's NFL?
1: well that's a good question you see a lot more punters kicking off now um pat did that um you see i think bradley pinion big strong punter does that and a few others um uh there's a there's a guy a long time played for detroit i can't remember his name but uh you know that's very common because you know punters typically are, are, are typically are taller guys got a little bit longer legs and they have that ability on the kickoff um to, to generate that power and a lot of the a lot of the kickers you see today and even when Phil played, it was older guys, you know, and, and teams wanted to save their legs. Um, and as you got in your mid-30s, upper 30s, that, you know, guys like Robbie Goldar, who I think still does kick off, he's, he's kind of one of the rare ones. But you could have a young punter come in that has a heck of a leg. And now that you're kicking off from the 35-yard and not, not the 30, you know, they can go out and just kick that in the end zone any time and save the kicker. But um, when I was being drafted in 02, there was a guy named Travis Dorsch from Purdue, um, that, you know, we went to the combine together. We went, did all these, you know, you know camps or whatnot. He was, a, he was a, a kicker and a punter. And so they didn't really know which one that they were going to go with or if he could do both. The problem is you only have so much <laughs> endurance in your leg in a practice to work on your craft. And if you have to do an entire practice that I know I do and, and kick my routines punting and then stop and then go out and do a full kicking routine, you're going to probably wear your leg out um, probably easily middle of season, definitely late in season. And it's a lot on your leg, especially when you're doing it with kickoffs. So I think at the end of the day, punters typically hold. They can kick off. Kickers kick, could kick off. And I think, if anything, um, it allows you more time to get more consistent on your craft. And punters today are about as good as I've ever seen them. So um, I think that's probably my guess on why you don't see a lot of guys do both.
0: Guys, gotcha. we'll get you out of here on this, Dave, but Dequell Jackson is a friend of the program. He comes on every Friday. He sat in all three of these chairs, actually. I have a bottle of bourbon in my car for him waiting, and I know you played <laughs> with him for four years in Cleveland. Dequell swears that he considered the special teams guys part of the team. He did not exclude them. He said him and Phil Dawson were close. Do you have a Dequell story that we can bust his chops with on Friday? Don't hold back.
1: Make something up. Well, first of all, I'm a bourbon. I'm a <laughs> bourbon guy myself, so I'd be very curious on what kind of bourbon you're leaving, uh, DuQuo. But uh, no, I, I DuQuo was a great friend of mine when we played together. I, I just, I just loved him as a person, loved him as a player. Uh, we get to get together at some events still, and you know, seeing his family, and he's just, uh, very happy for the accolades he got and get into the the Browns. Um, I, gosh, I think it was the, uh, him, you man. know, uh, alumni, you know. Team or whatever. I know I probably will never get it, so I can't remember the name. Um, so, um, but no, Dequell, uh you know, Stories with him, you know, he just th- there wasn't really a funny story about him because he took the game. He was he took such a business like approach to the game. Um, he was our leader at linebacker. He was fast. He had great instincts, um, and you know, for us in my time in Cleveland, and quite frankly, throughout my career special teams guys always fit in um, with the team because I think everybody respected, you know, guys like Phil Dawson, the guys like Adam Venateri, the Shane Lecklers of the world because they were so impactful for those defensive teams to pin them deep, get those safeties, and allow that offense to get back on the field. So you hear a lot of rumblings in the media about, oh, he's just a kicker. And, you know, that's going back to the Vanderjack, Manning days. Uh, you know, in, in today's, you know, uh, you know, football i think that you'd be surprised by how uh, respected the kickers and punters are within the locker room um but we always i always joke and i tell people hey man somebody's got to do the job so why not me uh but then the funny thing is all my teammates who go hey man i'm gonna get my kid to learn how to punt and kick man that's what i'm gonna do and i'm like hey listen you make fun of us in the media but then you want your kids to do it so. <laughs> uh, but no DeQuell, DeQuell was one of my favorite teammates of all time um and i think he knows that
0: Awesome. Well, well, Dave, I'll get with you offline. We'll talk bourbon, and, and maybe we can get you a bottle, just like we got DQ. Thank you for taking some time. Thanks for sharing some light on uh your time with G. Bush. And anytime you want to come back, Dave, you're more than welcome to join us here on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show.
1: Yeah, hey, guys, I, I love listening to GB. You're doing a great job, man. Love following you, and I wish you guys the best of luck. Appreciate awesome. it. Thank you. Thanks,
0: Dave. Okay, Anthony, guys,
4: take up. care. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, guys, I just want to remind everybody that you can see your favorite golf legends play in the College Companies Championship July 12th through July 16th at the famous Firestone Country Club. Fun family-friendly event, family events all week long featuring a new fan zone experience. Free attendance for kids and concerts every night. There is something for everyone. Learn more at colleaguegolf.com.
0: It is harder to read that than any other read we've ever had on that sheet. That one is a tongue twister for real.
4: Yeah, the family-friendly, the fun family-friendly. It's like
0: It's a lot. Uh, You know it's not a lot? The Guardians offense lately. It is. is, At all. We are running out of adjectives to describe how poorly they have played through the first 37 games of the season. Now they're 17 and 20. They got shut out by the Tigers yesterday. I did a bunch of stats. I'll save those for the end because I don't want to ruin the mood totally yet. But, Jason, we talked about them last week when they beat the Twins in that series. Hey, this might be the turning point. They just got two or three from the first place team. They come back and they drop two of three at home to the Tigers. Did we jump the gun? Get a little too excited, a little too early about this team?
3: I don't know. It's, but it's getting to the point where we, we can stop saying it's early. You know, oh, we can. I, I, I thank you for letting me out the doghouse. Let's go. Well, no, I just think around Memorial Day, start of June is when you, you figure out who you are, you know, in, in terms of baseball, it, all through April, all through May, you can say it's early. There's plenty of time. And, and that may still be the case in the divisional race, even in June and July, no one's gonna run away with this division. The Twins, I don't think the Twins are that good. The White Sox are an absolute disaster. The Tigers are improved, but they're not ready yet. And the Royals are quite a, quite a bit behind. So nobody's gonna run away from the Guardians and hide. But there comes a point where you just have to look and say, we are who we are. And uh, to me, that's around June 1st. Once you get through Memorial Day weekend, that's when sometimes managers get fired. It's, if you haven't turned it around by then, that's when guys go. I'm, obviously that's not happening here but i'm just yeah, saying go ahead and preface that you don't you know you are jason Lloyd. Yeah, they, well, will you, twist they will tell you it. they
0: will take just that little segment <laughs> yeah i out. know
3: obviously that's not but i mean that's when you have enough of a sample size to know who you are and if this team doesn't get this thing turned around the next couple of weeks and, and guys start picking it up you know i think that you can make the definitive statement of of yeah this is just going to be a down year and it happens in baseball we're not at that point yet but i'm just saying memorial day weekend is when you really for me at least start to figure out who you are gee you know t-
2: for me i i think the guardians as l- the philosophy of w- which they built their team it always just seems like their their ceiling is all right they can get past the wild card get to the second round and they can kind of compete during the- at that point like they can compete it'll be difficult to win a series in the second round against a team um, like the Astros or the Yankees or, or, or teams like of that ilk that can put the ball in the stands, I think if you go back and you listen to everything we've said in the beginning, I go back to spring training, and I think there was a time where it was Jason Bull and Jay on. It's
0: the smartest baseball panel in the city of
2: Cleveland, by the way. And yeah, they're, yeah, I don't think nobody else taught baseball besides them. Like there might be a couple dudes, Andre not, yeah, he, but he's Zach, at the game. Zach, Marvina. like yeah, right. So. Um, but no, you, you heard them talk about it. A couple of people who are going to fall back and regress to the meme. Yeah, when you have a bunch of players that played well lights out and they were giving you uh, Oscar Gonzalez was giving you moments in, in the playoffs where he was hitting game winning home runs. Uh, Ros- uh, Rosario was giving you a uh, solid at bats and, and getting clutch hits. Quan was doing it all year long. When you look at that team and they were so scrappy last year and everything worked out well, there was always going to be a a chance that two or three of those guys did not play well this year. And guess what? You got a couple. Oscar Gonzalez is down in the the minors. Triple A. Triple A. You know, uh, Miles Straw was batting well at the beginning of the year. He's come back down to earth. You don't have the power numbers. And then on top of it, what really hurts is if you are a Guardians team that needs – to, to infuse your your roster with some hitting and, and some power, and you go out and spend money on Zanino and Bell, and they don't give you exactly what – now it looks really crazy, yeah. right? So, you know, some of these guys are going to regress, and that's what happened. So now the question is, how how much of a, a leeway do you have to get behind a team like Minnesota? Like, I think they'll be there all year, but my question is, can you, are, are they going to be able to beat anybody from the AL East? I, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I think they're fine in the grand scheme of things right now because the AL Central's flat out putrid. The last place team in the AL East would be the first place team in the AL Central. It's just, it is what it is right now. This division is a blessing for the Guardians because we saw the standings earlier. They're 17 and 20 and they're like two games out of first place. Yeah, And the only other team that's equally as bad at them offensively is the Minnesota Twins. And I got some numbers here. And I tried to break this down as simply as possible because there's so many different baseball stats. You could tell me these are too minute, too obscure, too wide, whatever. Here's what I know. The Tigers' team ERA is 4.33. Heading into this weekend series, it was 4.33. Put it simply, that means they average giving up four and a third runs per game. The Cleveland Guardians scored four runs in three games against those Detroit Tigers. Yep. So you go into that series, based on the averages, theoretically speaking, they should have scored 12.9 runs, 13 runs. They scored four. They scored less than three games, and the Tigers give up on paper throughout the first 27, uh, 35 games of the season. They do per. We know they don't hit home runs. They have 19 home runs as a team. That is by far last five fewer than any other team. So if you're not going to hit home runs, what did the Guardians do last year, G? They made contact. They got singles. They got doubles. They had an on-base percentage. They stole bases. They played small ball. And you can win like that in the regular season, at least. Well, to this point of the season, and I'm not going to belabor the numbers because we know they're bad, but they are second to last in team batting average. They are last in on base percentage. They have a 297 on base percentage, by the way. Awful. That's historically bad. Yeah. They're last in slugging. They're second to last in total hits. And sometimes baseball, you have bad luck. You hit the ball hard. It gets caught. You hit it right at somebody. Well, they have a 25.3 hard hit rate, according to Statcast. That is dead last in the league. So they're not hitting the ball hard. They're not hitting the ball at all, and they're not hitting for power. I and mean, when you put that together, unless you have Degrom in his prime, Nolan Ryan in his prime, Satchel Paige in his prime, Randy Johnson in his prime, and Martin Rivera as your closer, giving up 0.5 <laughs> runs a game, you're not going to win baseball games. So when you look at what's happening, it is too early to totally panic, but all the red flags are waving. Like it is a windy, gusty day. You got flags on the top of your house, they are gusting, they're all red. They're saying, there is something wrong with this team. It is not time to burn the house down. But if you do have to burn it down, we can look back at what happened in late April and early May and say, hey, all the signs were there that this was a flawed team and it just didn't pan out.
3: I think what makes this frustrating is the same thing that maybe should provide, even still, a little bit of hope and optimism. So if you want something to cling to, Last year, they played 17 rookies. We made a big deal about it and how they all contributed. They all played well. They're not really relying on those guys, though. It's a little bit misleading to say, like, you know, sophomore slump and stuff like that because, okay, Stephen Kwan, it applies to, in terms of guys who they're asking to contribute who were rookies last year. And Arius now in right field, now that Oscar's down, Oscar didn't live up to what they needed him to. And Brennan in that sort of right field hole, those three really comprise one. But aside from that, the guys who are struggling are guys – who have been around or have proven themselves or have a little bit more of a track record. It's, you know, Jose Ramirez isn't having the year that he did last year. He's not as terrible as some of these other guys we're talking about. He still
0: hit a 290 with four yeah. points of 20 RBIs. and
3: part of it Part of the issue with him is there's nobody on base for him yeah, when ever, he comes to the plate. But Andres Jimenez has not lived up to the contract at this point. But again, he was a seven war player last year. That is an astronomical number. I don't think you go from a seven war player to forgetting how to put your shoes on. Yeah. Ultimately, I still think that he will be okay. Naylor's been a huge disappointment. We mentioned Zanino and Bell is, is big disappointments, veteran signings that have not been good offensively. So it's not like it's this big sophomore slump, rookie regression with these guys. It's the veterans. And I'll even count Jimenez as a veteran for this conversation. You got a hundred million dollar contract. You're a veteran. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're, you're no longer just a sophomore. You are officially in the category yeah. of we expect things from you.
3: And he, you know, he's had a couple of years in the majors now he played, he had some time with the Mets, some time with the guardians and figured things out, got the big contract. Now, now there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. So it's not even just a matter of, of the young kids that we want to classify. It's these guys that they're counting on. And so, you know, Tito said multiple times he's going to gonna rely on track records when guys have track records. And so you just you have to continue. I mean, what, what choice do you have? As Francona said and Chris Antonetti echoed, there's nobody coming from AAA. Like Tyler Freeman came up. But there's, you know, George Valera possibly could have been possibly an option in right field, but he's another left-handed hitter and a lineup that's already full of lefties. And he hasn't even started yet because he's coming back from a hand injury and hopefully he should be getting back to affiliated ball here soon. He's still rehabbing, but there's no, you know, like we talk about this wave of pitching coming up and Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams and Logan Allen and all these arms that are coming. Well, that's not necessarily the case on, on the offensive side. It's George Valera maybe well, a little bit of Tyler Freeman, and that's really well, it. Well, Bo Naylor, well, maybe. Bo Naylor. Well, maybe. Nay- Nay- Naylor's having a good year at AAA. Edu- edu- educate us on that because um, they've
2: obviously, when you to see a team like this, they've been awesome at figuring out pitching. They've been awesome of, of getting the arms, developing them, bringing them up at the right time, not too early, not too late. Is So why is there not a philosophy? It is Can you not do that with, with hitting? um you have a lot of left hand bats it, it, from an organizational structure um can't they just focus and say hey listen we are looking to develop power hitting right-handed players or is those,
3: are those guys unicorns in baseball and they don't fall off the tree like No, that? they're not unicorns and certainly you know that's the hope is that they develop bats along the way they haven't done a great job is particularly the outfield you know this the Manny Ramirez Right, right. Uh, Grady Sizemore, even he, even Sizemore came over in trade. They haven't had a ton of outfield prospects that they've really developed. Lindor was homegrown. He was a high pick. They did everything right with him and then they couldn't sign him. So they flipped him and they brought in more guys who were young and Jimenez ended up taking the contract. Lindor wouldn't take frankly. And now Jimenez is going to be locked up for a long time. Uh, But yeah, it's been one of the blind spots has been developing offensive minded guys and, but the miners are flush with hitters. So it's kind of double talk. But like a guy like brian rocchio one of their top prospects is a shortstop i think arias is ahead of him like i get this feeling that a lot of fans sort of look at gabriel arias as this utility type player and Mm rocchio is the shortstop of the future i don't think that's accurate i think arias is going to get the look before rocchio but right now rosario's blocking that and i listen if they fall out of it completely that's probably going to change he's definitely gone rosario's gone Gone. definitely yeah but as long as they're lingering and hanging around rosario's going to be the shortstop on this team. So it's just where they're at in their development. There's no big bats coming this year. You know, jackenzie Noel's another power hitter that they have in the minors, but I, I don't think he's ready to help this year. And their
0: first round pick last year, Chase DeLauder at the yeah. JMU, he got hurt, but he's, I think in maybe still high a ball, yeah. double a yeah, ball. Yeah, he's at most. So some of these guys in the minor league system, gee, you, you can fast track, but that doesn't mean they go from high a rookie ball to the majors in one year to help like it it's just a longer progression for hitters and
3: they've tried. I mean, Clint Frazier, Bradley Zimmer. These were first round picks outfield prospects that were first round picks. They just didn't pan out. It happens in baseball all the time. Baseball might be
0: the hardest sport to draft in. Like the hit rate of dudes who are first round picks that make it as opposed to just random later-round picks that make it, it it, it varies so heavily.
3: Now in their favor, pitching is so much more expensive than hitting and it's such a premium and they've got that locked, locked. And I was, it was funny, I was, jo- I was talking to Bybee the other day, mm-hmm. and I said, how is it a guy goes from throwing high 80s in college to 98, 99 in the pros? <laughs> and he wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't like, and I said, you're not gonna give with the secret sauce. He's like, no, like it's the whole organization keeps it on lockdown, I don't know what they're doing. And we talked a little bit about like lower body and coming up with strength, I, I don't know, like I'm gonna keep pecking Dang away it. at that and gnawing at that because it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that they take these guys. Bieber was the same way, although Bieber's velocities dropped, whether it was the sticky stuff or the shoulder, you know, I, I don't know, but he's not throwing for a while. Bieber, Shane was throwing 98, 99. Yeah, well. and now he's down to 91, 92. But Bybee very much was the Bieber type of control guy in college, wasn't highly thought of coming into the draft, uh, didn't throw real hard, he was a command guy, and now they've got him throwing 98, yeah. 99, and Gavin Williams throws even harder Gavin Williams is sitting 100-101 in his mind. He looks so good
0: in the double-A highlights i see. Now, granted, he's going against double-A hitters. He's triple now. He's up in A, Columbus. His stuff, is as good as Bybee, as good as Allen, as good as Battenfield have been, Gavin Williams' Gavin will be stuff, better. at least his stuff, yeah.
3: Yeah. pure filth. So, yeah.
0: they, they have one side of the equation done, as you mentioned. It's the expensive. That's actually the harder side to develop, which is so kind of mind-boggling that they've had struggled on the other side because you look at farm systems – some teams just put out bats the Rays find dudes out of yep. nowhere yeah come out of the minor leagues and yep. they're hitting six seven eight home runs through 30 games you're like who the hell is this and right. the guardians on the other hand of these pitchers coming up who seven eight strike I think Bieber's nine strikeout game on what was that Tuesday night when we went to dinner yeah yep was the most strikeouts I had all season two three and four Battenfield Allen Bybee. so
3: yeah
0: Anthony we got to read what's up
4: yeah, real quick, just want to remind you guys, you can see all your favorite golf legends play in the Collie Companies Championship July 12th and j- through July 16th at the famous Firestone Country Club. Fun, family-friendly events all week long featuring a new fan zone experience, free attendance for kids, and a concert every night. There's something for everyone. Learn more at CollieGolf.com. And, guys, in typical fashion, tagboard has frozen on me. I had the tweets for all the all-NBA teams. I can't show them but we're going to talk about if Donovan Mitchell got snubbed or not being sure. on all NBA second team. Well, you want to read us
0: the first team, the second team and the third team and then we'll Yeah, break
4: so it real down. quick. NBA first team is Giannis, Luca, Joel Embiid, Shai and Jason Tatum. Second team. When he Jaylen.
0: says shy, he means Shay Gilders Alexander. Yeah. He says shy every day when I ask him for the points. It is Shay Gilders <laughs> Alexander. Shy, shy, yeah. Yeah. He calls shy. him shy
2: every time. Shy is a uh, 1990s uh, R&B. Oh, I like that. That was a good. <laughs> <use>. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> is, I thought I got his first name. Down. I was like, I'll just avoid that. What the was their name.
3: What was their big hit? If and I, ever, if I fall right? in love again. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. There it is. That's the most I will
2: ever sing. There it is. I like that, man. You get extra credit points. Let
4: me. Let me taking Jason to the next. Let
2: me find out you were serenading people to that song. Second, team.
4: <laughs> second team is Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, and Donovan Mitchell.
0: Say that again. Yeah, so close. Jokic? Well, no, no. Nikola so so, so say, say
2: the whole thing. I, I, I was like, hold on. Oh,
4: sorry. Jalen Brown, Jimmy okay. Butler, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, and Donovan Mitchell. Is that wrong?
0: It, so, no, close. No. so close. So, close. so close. You're, you're good. You're good. Next. Right. The, yeah, the second Third-
2: team actually is better in real life than the first team. Well, we'll, we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead.
4: I, I think, yeah. Aaron Fox, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Julius Randle, and Sabonis is the last one. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys can just do call, them, all you just want. call I'm, him. I'm giving up by the third team. Just
3: call <laughs> him Domas. Domas. <laughs> D- 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 D-
4: D-
0: D- Domas Sabonis, uh, son of the Ar- other Sabonis. Arvidas. Arvidas, Ar- Ar- yeah. Ar- Ar- yeah. yes. Uh, Jason, I'll start with you. You don't You don't. You don't have a vote. No, no.
3: I lost all that when I left the league.
0: I know Joe Varden did, and he voted Donovan Mitchell first team. The only other two ballots I know – specifically were Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo because they released it on their podcast. They both voted Mitchell first team. I'll, I'll say why they did it and what happened. Would you have put him?
3: Yeah. We, I think we talked about it before uh, the playoffs that I would have put him on my first team. I would have bumped Luke at a second team. I, it, it's, a, it's very much a regular season award and regular season results matter to me. So I, I thought Donovan, I know he didn't live up to expectations in the, in the postseason, but for the regular season I thought he was fantastic and I, I agreed with all the other picks except I would have flip-flopped Luca and Donovan if I had a vote. Um, yeah, I think I would have I
2: would have I would have put Luca second team, um, given the fact that you know he didn't even make the playoffs in the regular season. Kyrie and him didn't really turn out to be much. And I thought I thought Donovan Mitchell for if, if you just if you can cut it out of your mind the playoffs and just be like okay that never happened. I think everybody would go into it thinking and, and understanding, oh, this dude is definitely first team on NBA because of what he did. I mean, he had back, to, I mean, first of all, he had 71. Uh, back to back, like, I think three or four games of 40 points or more. Um, and, and the fact that I think, and this is another thing, too, that we got to take in consideration is this guy put up some of the best numbers of his career and playing with a team. He just got here in the summer. It wasn't like, like, he had two or three years to play together. Like, he played that well and, and mixed in with Darius Garland and did not have his – this is his first year doing it. So, if you take all those things into consideration, I think he should have been first team on all NBA. But at the end of the day, I don't got a problem with it because you got to earn that. Like, it, and for, for the Cavs, and, and no one's going to give them any awards. I think Evan yeah. Mobley got robbed for – you know, two things like I think, you know, a rookie of the year as well as defensive player of the year. However, until the Cavs get to a point where they can come out and earn the respect of everybody else, because like you said with my price, people thought like people say that these Cavs are soft. And so they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt when it comes up to awards and those things. So um, maybe use that as a flame to the to the fire, but I think he should have been first team
0: when we did this topic before the playoffs started, do we think Donovan Mitchell will end up being a first-team All-NBA player? I said no. I thought he was should be second-team. I thought he was actually placed appropriately. But instead of Luka being on the first team, I had De'Aaron Fox on my, on my first team. Oh, uh, yeah. And
3: you you got that right. And yeah. Fox,
0: the reason I had him slightly over Mitchell was the clutch stats. And when he looked back, Fox won the NBA's Clutch Player of the Year award. I forget who they named. Is it the Robert or Clutch Player of the Year know. or whatever it was? But he led the league in clutch points, points in the last five minutes of the game. He got my first-team nod. But we're not arguing Fox versus Mitchell here. This was was Mitchell snubbed by Luka. And I went back and looked at the numbers, and I don't think he was. As much as this is a regular season award, and as much as it absolutely crushes me, kills me, hurts me, demoralizes me to give someone credit, in a a year when he missed the playoffs, in a league where 67% of the teams make the playoffs, he was better than Donovan Mitchell this year. Like, his team sucked. The rest of the team sucked. He averaged more points, more rebounds, more assists. He was equally as efficient. His usage rate was a little higher. They both were horrendous on defense. They didn't try. Neither one tried at all on defense. I know Mitchell's defensive stats are inflated by the fact he played on the best defensive team in the league with Mobley and Allen behind him. But Donovan Mitchell didn't really try in defense at all this year. And then I was like, oh, well, he had the 71-point game, Mitchell. You know what? That'll be the tiebreaker. Then I remember Luka had a 60-point, 21-rebound, 10-assist, triple-double. Yeah. And I was like, well... 71 point, almost triple double, 60.20. You're splitting hairs. Like, if you told me that he got it over Luca, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, Luca was snubbed. But at the end of the day, Luca averaged more points, more rebounds, more assists on the equal level efficiency rating. And team record doesn't matter in this. It should. If it was up to me, it would, but it doesn't. So I think he's in the right spot. I think Fox should have been first team, but based on the Luca Mitchell thing, I I don't really have an issue with it. I think he's rightfully placed second
3: team. I mean bull said it. Bulls said Luka first team, Donovan second team. So he got it he right. He did
0: bull bull actually called it right, yeah. Well first you, time bull's ever been right. <laughs>
3: well you, you well at Love this you at this point, this is the way it works. Luka's,
2: like like grandfathered in.
0: Like it's his fourth first team all NBA. Like he's he's been in the league five years.
2: He's grandfathered in. Like Jokic is, you know, two that you grandfathered in. It's like you can't go back now. So, like, right now, Evan Mobley is probably going to be on an all-defensive team all the time now just because you got you made it that first time. You're the youngest player to ever do it. So, now you kind of grandfathered in. And I, I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, to me, man, it's just, it's just messed up. I, I knew this before, but dang man, it's a difference. This levels to it, bro. If you watch, if even even if you just watch the playoffs, it even diminishes these awards because if you ask me who the best player, I'm I'm I, I'd be arguing to tell you probably LeBron I mean, who's
3: the best who's the best Kevin Durant like the fact that LeBron made team at 38 years old is remarkable. It's
0: just 20. Well, he's the first player ever. All, LeBron's going to have so many records in the record book just because of longevity, and that's not a knock on him. It's just the fact that he's played for 20 it's, years. It's
3: another claim it's to It's another. Greatness. I think it's
0: actually a benefit Absolutely. to him. He's in his 20th season and was just named one of the 15 best players in the league, and if he had played more games, he would have been on second or first team. Yeah. The only reason he's on third team is he missed, what, 23 games this something year or something like, like that? That. Yeah. that is the only reason he wasn't on the first or second team. What he's doing at age 38 it in year 20 time. is effing
2: Ridiculous. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's, it's it's different. Like, and so you know, I, I look. You know, Mark said that you know Mobley can do sixteen or you know get sixteen and ten. And I, you know, I, I love Mark Price, but if they want to go where they want to go, at like, their their, their eggs are in that Evan Mobley basket, and that Evan Mobley basket has to be twenty three, twenty four,
0: and that consistent twelve. I just. It- Sorry to cut you off, but, like, where are those shots coming from if he's playing with Mitchell and, and Garland? Like, I, I, I hear you, and I agree with you. I just don't think that's possible with the current team construction. Well, I, I don't.
2: Well, they're not going to win, man.
0: That, that's fair, too.
3: Well, I, I think the way that you do it is sort of the way that the Cavs with LeBron and Kyrie handled Kevin of Kevin gets the first shot. Every time. And, and no Ty what. made that. I think we talked about on the show during the season. Ty Lu made that sort of. The, the rule and everybody knew it was coming. It didn't matter because you're, you're activating your bigs early and you're getting him that elbow touch and you're getting him involved, get him his first look, get him acclimated to the game. Kevin, there were games where Kevin had eight shots in the first quarter and for the rest of the game, but you got him involved early. And, and that is how you get Evan involved early. Is you make a point of emphasis, especially first possession down first play down, the touch is going to four.
2: Well, well, or, you know, as a, I, I, here's what i like to do. You know, if the Cavs, if the Cavs want to get to where they're going, I really believe that, like, I, I heard Draymond Green say something. And Draymond Green was talking about how, you know, younger players that come in, they, they th- think about their own game, right? They think about what I need to do, how I need to do it. He said, but the philosophy with the Golden State Warriors is, is when young players like Jordan Poole or, or even other guys like that come in or Wiggins, we, we preach, hey, this is where Clay liked the ball.
4: Mm-hmm. Hey,
2: this is where Steph like it on the pick and roll. What ways can I get it to him? How are we going to push? These are the areas, right? And he said, for a lot of young players, it takes time to understand. Why would you do that? He said, because if you can get the ball to them in their spots that they like, that sets up the offense. Everything we do comes off of that. So that is a philo- philosophy that the organization is preaching. So at some point you have to sit down and I would I would think it would be JB and wh- whoever in the front office sitting down with Darius and, and, and Mitchell saying look. This guy right here is is the key. We ain't got no money to get nothing else. We ain't got I mean ain't no savior coming, but we got a guy we think can turn into something special, but we got to change the way we play. We got to figure out a way to make it where if he's the uh, uh, primary focus of what we trying to do. It'll make everybody's life different, and you'll get you'll get further along the way instead of having these inflated empty numbers. Because 28 for him and 23 for uh, for for Darius Garland, I don't I, I don't think that's moving the
0: needle. Well, J- Jason said this before, and we've kind of talked about this offline, and I wholeheartedly agree with this. The Cavs, as currently constructed, are at their best, can reach their highest potential if Donovan Mitchell isn't scoring 28, 29, 30 yeah. points a game. They are better if he, is, in my opinion, have a higher potential if he's scoring 22-23 points a game, and that 4.4 assists goes to 6.5 assists, 7 assists. And Darius Garland is, and they have three guys Mobley averaging 20, Garland 21, Mitchell 22, Allen 16, and a more balanced attack. And then when push comes to shove and you need Donovan to go off, he can still go off. And I think think you asked him, and I hope I'm not saying something that I shouldn't say here. No, you're okay. I, I think you asked him, hey, have you ever considered just punting on a game to make sure Mobley and Garland and Allen and those guys get involved in. And you said, that's just not in his DNA. Yeah. He
3: said, he doesn't think that's good leadership. Like he said, I'll, I, I tried win every game I play, like I'm out to win every single game I play. And, and, and obviously I understand what he's saying, but I think it's more beneficial in the long run to stand in the corner one night and say, you guys figure it out. Yeah. Darius and Evan, you guys figure out how to get us over the line and how to win this game. I'm gonna stand here if you need me, but I'm not gonna have the ball in my hands. I'm not gonna initiate. I want you guys to take the shots, run the actions and see how this goes. And I think for the long-term betterment health of everyone involved, that's more beneficial. But Donovan disagrees with that and says, I'm, I'm gonna win every game I play.
2: For, for every small market- it's a blessing and a curse. His competitiveness of, is a blessing yeah. and a curse. Yeah. For, for every small market team, I, I kind of go to the Spurs, right? Tim Duncan was the best player on that team for a long period of time, right?
0: Thirteen years, he was the best player on the team. But
2: then he then at one point in time he had to say Tony Parker is that guy. Mm-hmm. And then after he got to Tony Parker, what really extended their career was they caught Kawhi, Kawhi. Leonard. Yep. And you look at those those games against they played against the Miami Heat, Jason. It was the Kawhi Leonard coming out party that really extended and able. It was able to get the Spurs over the hump because now they had a guy who was not just going to be a defensive guy. You had
3: to guard Kawhi Leonard, and that really opened up for people. They really, in my opinion, started the small ball movement. In those finals, they put Kawhi at the four.
0: And Duncan was, at that point, like 206 pounds, soaking wet with rocks in his pocket, <laughs> playing center, and he could barely move, but... He was Tim Duncan, so he got the benefit. You're right, Right.
3: though. Yeah, I think the Spurs really started what we see. And I know the Warriors get a lot of credit with the death line up and Draymond at the five and shooters all over the floor. But when the Spurs used Kawhi at the four in those finals, I remember thinking, like, wow, this feels like a new era is beginning.
0: You mentioned the Warriors, and I'm going to bring this back to LeBron real quick. Did you see the breakdown? Did you hear LeBron answer the question at the end of game four, not last night, game four, where the Lakers won? And he got the steal in the last possession. Draymond turned it over. Did you hear him talk about no, that play defensively? I didn't. Uh-uh. I wish we had the video. Tag not working? No. Damn, well, We're stuck on video. Miles Straw stats. Sorry. <laughs> the... Now you know how frustrating uh, it is, right? It, it now is... on this side, right? <laughs> I sent it to both of them. I'll send it to you guys to watch. But... I'll tweet it out. Uh, ESPN put it on Instagram this morning. The Warriors ran the same exact play that LeBron got the steal on in Game 4 of the 2018 Finals. That play from a like, – like I said, I played D3 basketball, so I'm not saying, but it's a f- effing genius play. Steve, like, it's so difficult. You need the right play. You need a Draymond to be able to fake a handoff, whip I, it to the corner. You need a, a, a shooting guard to, like Clay who can catch and shoot on the fly, moving directly to the yeah, baseline. I didn't
3: hear him talk about it, but I know what you're talking about because he called the switch, He, right? he called yep. the switch. Yep.
0: He remembered, and it, it, Clay missed the shot in the finals. The play, it works, he's got an open shot, but he missed it. It wasn't even a three, it wasn't a dagger. It was in, like, the second quarter of game three. A random irrelevant play. Steve Kerr had that play in his back pocket for five years, waiting to pull it out again. And LeBron James, being the basketball savant he did, and I wish we had. The, I'm. I hate tag words. Now I know. Now how he's you like, know. Like, well.
4: Best friend and my worst. <laughs> I, I know.
0: I, for him to see that develop in real time. This is not like what. Oh, this is real time to see to call up the switch with Anthony Davis to see Draymond's face that LeBron was there with the switch to cut off the pass to Clay. Yeah. So Draymond. I wish I was one tenth, one one hundredth as smart at any good at anything in my life. Anything in my life. It might be tying my shoes, it might be getting out of bed. Like, one one hundredth as good at anything in my life as LeBron is basketball IQ wise. It is stupid.
3: There was a clip from this season where he was like in another team's huddle or watching the play or something. And they shield him so he couldn't see. He goes, it's all right. I'll figure it out anyway. Like, I don't need to see it. I'll figure it out. His memory on this stuff Here, like, is like You guys, if you, if you
0: swipe both ways. This is the worst TV, and I'll, I'll just, TV. I'll just talk. We'll have them watch, and you guys can live there. Show Jason. You yeah, live yeah. So, I saw it. Yeah. it is the, so, I saw so I'll it. watch you, for myself. Yeah, let, 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 and you slide one more time, and that's the current play. Okay. So that's the play in the finals. And then watch LeBron call it out in live time. It's a horn set. It, it's a brilliant play design by Steve Kerr. And while we're doing this, G- I see GC see it in real time here.
2: Yeah, yeah, he got. Yeah, listen,
0: I'll tweet, he, it. I he, promise and, we'll tweet it out from the show account.
2: And he calls it. Listen, he calls he it have time. He calls it when the ball is on the opposite side of the top of the key. And they haven't even went to down screen yet. Yeah. It was just like, nah, he's right here. Switch over here. We're going to slide to the corner. Like, that's just the reason it's Pure genius. That's the reason why, you know, I, I, I don't and We don't ever need to get into the conversation. The reason why to me it's not even close that he's the best player it's the first of all the longevity the basketball IQ and the fact that once again when you think he's dead he wills a bunch of guys that is not good by by themselves as a as a individuals but as a team put together he just carries these dudes
0: LeBron wakes up with 50 wins
3: carries yeah. these dudes I'll be curious to see what happens with Anthony Davis now that series flips dramatically if davis can't play i know they're they they do not think he has con- i haven't seen an update i have not seen anything
0: that says concussion. i mean it's
3: only 10 a.m on the west yeah. coast so uh but if he's out that changes everything drastically if, everything. if ad plays lakers are going to conference finals i've, I've yeah. thought that all along that lakers sun's in the conference finals only if ad plays you though.
2: don't you know lebron more better than anybody i'm anxious to see what look if ad can't play what LeBron James shows up? Is it the LeBron I got to get 50, or is it the LeBron I trust people because I trust
3: them and I'm at home?
0: The one game LeBron, I think he still has the one game I can dominate every facet if
3: I want. Well, and he may need that. And if he's got it in him and AD can't six. play, it has to be game six. Yeah. You don't want going back for a road game seven. It's, this is not 2016. If he does have one more gear left, and I don't know if it's age or if it's his foot. I I don't know, but we may get our answer if AD can't go because he may have to have one more monster LeBron game in order to close out this series.
4: Anthony, what's up? Yeah, guys, uh, I actually have a final take today, and it's to remind you guys to see your favorite golf legends play in the Colley nice. Companies championship uh, okay. July Seems 12th through July 16th at the famous Firestone Country Club. Fun, family-friendly events all week long featuring a new fan zone experience, free attendance for kids, and concerts every single night. There's something for everyone. Learn more at KaliGolf.com. We've
0: well, we got two and a half minutes left, so I'm gonna, I am gonna. want to say something real quick that if anyone has any final words. But uh, we surpassed our one year. Anthony, do you have something to say? Do you actually have a final take? Yeah, I, I, after you're thinking. All right, let me, let me do this real quick. We just surpassed one year. Our goal for next year is how do we infiltrate markets in Cleveland that we are not currently in? And I went out to dinner last night and I met Kenzie. It was her birthday. Happy birthday, Kenzie. Happy eighth birthday. Uh, we're going to dominate the Wycliffe Cleveland second and third grade market. We're going to send t shirts to the Wycliffe to Kenzie second and third grade <laughs> class. All their parents are going to get t shirts. They're going to then become the biggest Ultimate Cleveland sports fans in East Cleveland. So, Kenzie, happy birthday. Uh, hopefully we'll do it again next year when we turn 9, 10, 11, we'll keep it an annual tradition and to whoever your classmates are, if you're not watching Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, uh, for real, what are you doing? Why not? What's up? Anthony, what's up? Oh yeah, I just want to give a quick shout
4: out to Tyler from Sandusky. I don't think he watches the show, but I, ended up, I saw my favorite band last night at the Agora and I ended up having to go by myself. Everybody was busy. Tyler from Sandusky was standing next to me. Nicest guy ever, made friends, hung out for the whole first hour of the show. So shout out to you man i just it was a great interaction did you tell him about the show i did tell him about the show i hope he watches i don't know if he's a current fan he had never heard of it so. all
3: right well while we're doing shout outs i have one come find me saturday at emerald center in avon my wife is doing an event for mother's day mm. if you haven't bought a gift yet there's all kinds of vendors there it's only five dollars to get in you can get special gifts for mom i'll be there all day from nine to three come hang out talk calves to me say hi if you're there emerald center and avon all proceeds benefit trials for hope it's the homeless shelter i've talked about it before Uh, she does some administrative work for them and it goes to a good cause the five dollars to get in and please come out and help support them find me let's talk calves browns guardians whatever you want i'll be there from nine to three on saturday shout out to my mom for mother's day and my uh my
2: uh sister-in-law mylene happy mother's day
4: yeah, shout-out to my mom from Mother's yeah. Day, too. She's a member of the show.
3: So. How
0: about all moms? Shout-out out out out. All, yeah, shout all moms. shout-out to everybody. We're a pro-mom podcast. I yeah. mean, a pro-mom TV show, YouTube show.
3: I'm cooking on Sunday from Mother's Day. Whoa. I'm make doing it. a brunch. Ooh. Oh, you Did good it coach? last year, too. I'm good at breakfast. Not so much.
0: <laughs> not, not so much the lunch side of brunch.
3: Can you make omelets? Oh, yeah, I, make I can eggs, make a Jason? mean omelet. Yeah. I, I can make anything. Eggs Benedict, Please. omelet. Fried so scramble. Who would have known that he was a he was a, a I, I can I can do the I, I can do the flip ooh. on the omelet. Like <laughs> okay. cook one side, flip to the old
0: well, well, breakfast at the This Dishes for the
3: renovation your house? Toast
0: the house.
2: McNuggets. Now can we, we get for. a hot griddle in here?
0: No, listen, there we're trying to get someone to plug these in, bro. How we gonna get <laughs> it <in there? laughs> Happy birthday, Kenzie. We will see you on overtime and tomorrow on the, the sports show. Right after IP. <laughs>